Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Aaron Smith, CEO of Ocean Soul, S-O-L-E. Aaron has degrees from uh, George Mason University, Georgetown University, University of Pennsylvania, began her career in econometrics, and then worked for various global tech firms such as CGI and BT in London, uh, working in the capital markets. It uh, looks like this project, Ocean Soul, is definitely a, uh, a right turn, let's say but very, very interesting company. So welcome, Aaron, and I'd love to hear your story about Ocean Soul. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here and tell you and answer any questions you have. Okay, great. Yeah. Tell me a bit about a little bit more about your background and how you came to the idea to create Ocean Soul. Well, I didn't create it. It was to be part of the interesting a- aspect of your question is with, uh, there was a founder. And it was kind of abandoned and kind of unprofitable. Talk a little bit about that. But prior to that, yes, I was in, you know, kind of high flying, high tech, Silicon Valley, London, just, you know, kind of went and started taking holiday in Kenya. And I fell in love with it. I worked across the Middle East and Africa region. And, uh, you know, kind of right where I turned 50, I decided it was time to leave corporate America and go on to try to do something different. So I kind of found this project that a friend of mine had really struggling. Um, she was a marine biologist, you know, it kind of needed a little bit more of a business and strategic planning and I guess some just discipline to turn it around and make it more from a little happy project, passion project to kind of a sustainable thriving business that, you know, is giving back to communities and conservation. That's kind of how I got there. Well, what's the premise of Ocean Soul? What does the, uh, the company do? So Ocean Soul is, uh, we're a social enterprise and a nonprofit. You know, we also have a nonprofit arm to our, our business. We clean beaches. So we clean all a bunch of beaches in Kenya and some waterways. We take the flip-flops. Uh, we clean all the stuff on the beach because people do ask that. And we have a whole group of ocean mamas that basically do that. And we keep the flip-flops, and the flip-flops are then washed and infected, and they turn into art. So uh, basically, we're upcycling, you know, all these flip-flops that we find on our beaches in our waterways throughout Kenya, and they get there for various reasons. But we advocate for conservation and, you know, basically make this art that's quite statement pieces so that people can talk about conservation, talk about communities, talk about, you know, kind of the ocean and impact of all the plastic. And that's, that's kind of what we do. Why flip flops and what like what percentage of the garbage on the beach I suppose the flip flops or is the material? Well, we do you find what we find is plastic bottles, toothbrushes, lighters. Flip flops are a lot. We just happen to be in and Kenya is one of the locations, Somalia as well. You'll see this also down in Guatemala and Costa Rica. I mean it's it's kind of around the world in these certain pockets where turtles migrate. It's quite interesting. When you have these tides in the ocean where kind of your sea life is moving migrating from one area to another that's usually what picks up a lot of trash well flip-flops because of the volume of people that wear them especially in hot kind of emerging markets where it's one of the few shoes that you know people around the poverty level can afford you just have this sheer volume of them so they get caught up in these tides and they end up 
kind of on the beaches, the same beaches, co-located where turtles need to be hatching. So, you know, as a statistician, I wouldn't say it's a one-to-one correlation, but it's very high correlation. When you see turtle hatching, you'll see predominant flip-flops. So probably in certain monsoons, I'd say about 70% of the trash that we see, I would say from a volume perspective, is flip-flops. On non-monsoon, I would say it's probably closer to 30% that is on the on these beaches that we clean. So you take all the garbage off the beach, but just salvage the flip-flops, or do you just take the flip-flops off? No, we take all of them. So what we've done instead of, we've trained people, ladies, and in communities up and down kind of the ocean, like I said, and also in the rivers, because we have um, five major rivers in Kenya, because, you know, obviously, you know, if trash is coming from villages, it, you know, it migrates through rivers to the ocean. And we've set up, you know, kind of to say like Avon model or pyramid scheme, you know, where there's like a lady at the top and she organized groups to go out and clean the beaches. So they take, we buy the flip-flops from them, and then they have other buyers of toothbrushes and some of the other plastics. So that's what, uh, they, they kind of make money off of all the trash that they find in Oh, uh, what else can be reused or sold to make money? Let's say they take um, plastic bottles. They can be broken down and put into some brick cake. And, you know, just a lot of plastic gets reformed there in, in Kenya. We have some of the major machinery where they can kind of reform them. So they'll basically take, you know, let's just say they take one bag. Out of that bag, probably 60% of it can be purchased by another company like ours or somebody that wants that trash and then the other 40% then has to be, you know, taken to the dump or to a place to be, you know, hopefully properly disposed of. Okay. So these flip-flops, could they be made into anything else or you're making them to art pieces and that's kind of the end of them? I mean, the, that, I mean that's the sad part because, you know, when you get challenged a lot and say, well, you're just kind of more, quote, upcycling and solving the problem. And you know, that is true. We are more, you know, kind of reforming them and giving them kind of a further life. Right now, these pups that we find, because you find them from, you know, just kind of very low quality. These are not things like Havianas and some of the higher brands that, you know, kind of mix in biodegradable rubber. These are that very plastic PVC. So they're very difficult to repurpose and into to reuse. Some of them can go back into melted and reformed. And then they're kind of a recycled flip-flop that some of the flip-flop companies use kind of as a thin layer. So, you know, some of the companies do that, but that machinery is quite expensive, you know, in Kenya to have a company that would purchase that level of machinery to do that level of commitment of recycling. Could they be reused as flip-flops? I know you probably only get like, you know, 54 lefts and 84 rights and all that, maybe like the colors, but could they be repurposed and resold? No, they can't because we recycle about a million and a half flip-flops a year. So we, you know, huge volume and most of them have weathered the storm. They're quite, you know, damaged salt or they've been worn, you know, down to the red, things like that. Because they're not like lost flip-flops like you and I would you know, maybe leave somewhere at a festival or something like that. These are flip-flops people have worn and, and thrown away. They just haven't been disposed of properly either at the villages or, you know, kind of in the small cities or the urban areas, you know, in their home country. What if you, you know, ground them up into small bits of rubber and then reformulated them into, you know, stuff to be used in the water, let's say like buoys or paddle yeah. boards or like that yeah no you're absolutely right so what we do with our waste after we do you know we make art and then obviously we have 
sections that are left over because you know we're carving those are shredded and we use those we give those mattresses to refugees we put them into some people have mixed them with concrete you know kind of powder and, and made 30 percent like a bit of a flip-flopping concrete brick you know or like a kind of block to make some building material so people are constantly trying to figure out other ways to use the the rubber material you know it doesn't require a bigger investment like machinery or you know incinerator or things like that or the companies that make the flops in the first place can you get it where it's a good enough material that they could reuse it or is it too degraded to do that no matter what you're doing yeah it's you can't some of them we can but it is a lot of it's too degraded you know with the salt and stuff so we can some of them we do try to give them another company they can shred them and they can kind of put them through this kind of expensive machine that will and it ends up being black you know, which is fine, you know, just, and then they can be reused. It's just like where we are in Kenya. Like if I was doing this in America, you know, obviously the machinery would be easier about, you know, the electricity would be cheaper, you know, the business that would, you know, probably invest in some type of sustainable machinery like that. We just don't, you know, really have that kind of commitment or capital, you know, that these businesses want to improve on in, in Kenya. Hmm. Oh. How does this impact the wildlife, by the way? You mentioned turtles hatch, you know, if this is not cleaned up, what happens to the wildlife? So like the beach, like, you know, I live on one of these beaches, turtle hatching beaches, and, you know, we get every single day during, you know, certain types of the year, you know, the beach is covered, literally. We'll clean it up one day and the next day, you know, kind of all come in through the tide. So what's happening is the turtles can't make it to their beach, you know, to the beach to lay their eggs. So, you know, that is the is the big problem and that's you know obviously seasonal the other problems we have is you know people out the whales you know some of the larger mammals the right whales we have a huge migratory white whales and humpbacks and you know then through the seashells and from india and places like the indian ocean has all this these animals or you know these sea life will eat this and mistake the plastic and you know i mean i think people heard a lot about that as a problem for for our ocean life insane so you guys did the cleanups and literally the next day it's like you did nothing Step. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of these beaches during certain kinds of seasons. So during our monsoon season, particularly, yeah, every day it has to be yeah cleaned up because it just comes in and comes in again, and it comes in with wood. You know, it's not just like you know we've all seen these horrific pictures you know around the world of these rivers of plastic. It's it's not that it's not like that. It's more like you know as the high tides come, you know, over the night, especially cold winds, you know, then we get you know you'll see loads of plastic bottles, flip-flops, you know, and other things that have just been, you know, kind of traveling the seas. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now, back to the show. So what do you make these uh, flip-flops into? What kind of, and where do they go? Is it functional art? to look at or where do they go well so what we do is we obviously because we're from kenya we have a huge like savannah line we do huge giraffes you know all this kind of like lions giraffes hogs, things to represent kenya 
We do lots of marine life. And in these, when I say this, we do everything from kind of a quick, you know, maybe three inch, you know, level of a, of a sculpture all the way to life size. You know, I've done an 18 foot giraffe. We've done a car. We've done two cars. We've done a Honda. We're in the process of doing a Porsche right now. We've done bottle openers. We've done wall art. We've done, I mean, you know, we've done tons of just, you know, people come up with ideas, whether they're corporations that want to kind of like stand out in their lobby and have a art or, or something that they want to make a statement for. We've done that. We've done dogs. People have sent pictures of dogs. We've done flip-flop dogs for them. You know, pretty much anyone that's just kind of like the colors. We're very colorful. If you look on our website, you'll see, you know, they have a kind of a color pattern because those are all the colors of the flip-flops and we're standing down there. There's vibrant pinks and blues, red, yellows. And so we mix all that together. And, you know, so they're quite a statement piece for people that aesthetically, you know, like that look. So are there enough buyers of this material where you don't have to stockpile it? We have, you know, we do, we have mostly, we, like I said, we, you know, our target is a million and a half. And to be honest, that's probably, we're almost equal dollar to dollar for every, you know, kind of flip-flop that we recycle. It's usually, you know, almost correlated with our, so yeah, there are times when we have flip-flop shortages and we say they're not really shortages it's just it's there's probably other people in kenya that have collected them we haven't bought them yet but in general you know it's a pretty steady supply what we need you know i'd say once a year we have some challenges around supply you know the only raw materials we have are that and then polyurethane which is the kind of inside of a refrigerator or a container you know kind of a container of shipping container or food we use that stuff as well for some of the bigger scopes so now that you've been doing this Wow, what other ideas have come to you? Like, where is it going, this project? Well, it's, it's a very interesting question because, you know, I've talked to, we, we basically I like the Girl Scouts. You know, I'm kind of selling cookies to do good. We don't really take donations. I mean, we'll take individual, you know, some people like those to be clean up. We, we don't live on grants. We're not a um, kind of that nonprofit business nonprofit. And so, you know, there's two directions for us. One is, you know, this is a solution. It, um, we create a, about 150 jobs annually, plus not not including, I should say, our echoes, you know, where you buy that delivers the meat to us or, you know, the vegetable provider, or, you know, all these, you know, kind of, you know, all the economic impact that we have on a broader, broader scale. And we would like to go to another country. You know, I've been to Haiti, I've been to Guatemala, I've been to Honduras, I've been in the Caribbean, I've been to India. Yeah, Australia, you know, there's parts of this world that have this problem and they have people that know how to carve and they need, you know, kind of low income or high impact communities that need jobs. And so it'd be really interesting to kind of take this like, you know, I'm kind of old school techie, you know, select all copy and take it to another company and, you know, kind of go and do that. In so that's one area of growth that we've looked at where it's kind of more on the impact. We have talked to some to your earlier questions and the inquisitiveness around the flip flop of coming up with, you know, an ocean sold type flip flop that, you know, is either 100% recycled or using biodegradable rubber. You know, there's all these new mediums to do it that now uh, can do it and, and think about a way to kind of go to market with something that um, low impact on the environment for that. Well, what kind of environment would the um, recycled flip-flop material work best in? I mean, it seems like actually a water environment. I just, you know, what came to mind is I wonder if there was a you know, fisherman or multiple fishermen that could use products made from this you know, that would float and maybe have a line that drops in the water and they could, you know, fish for certain things. You know, you, you wouldn't want to make pollution from what you make, but I just wonder if it could be used in that way. 
Yeah, I mean, we've made some, you know, uh, fishermen like these birdies. I don't know if you're, as you see fishermen like these things that hang off these long lines, you know, that kind of tease in the water. We've made those for a lot of fishermen you know, we do constantly look for opportunities instead of something being, you know, cheap and, you know, kind of massively manufactured and, you know, fashion, if you will, and try to replace that. It's, you know, the challenge is to, to, you know, kind of the genesis of your of your podcast, you know, the challenge is, you know, when we're on the hustle kind of daily, just kind of trying to, you know, make sure we meet our commitments to our, you know, employees and to our community around hot meals and, you know, fair wages, you know, sometimes the, the, be able to stop and think of these things strategically without the capital or without the time, you know, as you know, it's it small Well, tell me, you know. tell me some of the challenges that you face because I want to focus on those. I guess I, because I've been interested in the story, yeah. I haven't asked you about that, but tell me some of the difficult things that you face. I would say, you know, you're dealing with handmade artisan products, right? So it's kind of everything, you know, every one of our artists were previous wood carvers. So they themselves would cut down trees and, you know, take that wood and make curios that you've seen probably, you know, in Kenya and other places around the world, you know, that, that you know, solid things or giraffe or something like that. So, you know, I think we made a huge impact in taking them away from cutting these trees down to doing this work. You know, when you're dealing with 150 artists that are kind of, you know, getting paid fair wages and getting, you know, supplements to their income and hot meals, you still have the challenges of, you know, kind of their lifestyle that are coming up that, you know, need to be dealt with and helping them, you know, as a part of our network. That's one. Um, cash flow, you know, the, we are not in a necessity. You know, the, my previous life, it was always value selling. You know, how do you take the software, the solution, you know, kind of go to the market? You know, hard to, to convince somebody you can even tell us a ball at the $1,500, you know, unless they're really passionate about product. So, and we don't have a lot of reach. We have repeat customers at the high end, meaning people that, you know, businesses support us yearly by corporate gifts or they buy their VIP gifts or their Christmas gifts. We get that. But in general, you know, we're not a product that the old 80%, you know, rule where 20% are making 80%. It's, you know, we, we're pretty much always having to look new people to hear our story, new buyers who so our acquisition costs run high. The other thing is, you know, our market. You know, we make everything in Kenya, but like the biggest market, obviously, is the United States. Well, kind of being a small company is, you know, having to set up a fulfillment, having to hire, you know, quote, Americans here to do marketing, you know, with the cost bases, you know, is the strain on, you know, the overall business. So those are some of the, the challenges that we had for sure in terms of growing. How do you, how do you make money though? I mean, how do you fund the operation? Who donates or is it more revenue from sales of art that makes that funds you. Well, from it's all revenue they sell, it's about all of it. I mean, you have people who say donate, they you have people give us two hundred dollars to do it's all revenue. So basically the profits are, you know, reinvested in the company, you know, obviously to grow because that that grows more jobs than in more thing. We give nearly twenty percent back to the community. I have an employee welfare program where money is almost like a four oh one K. They can borrow from that, they can pay this fee from that money that and then we put another like 20 percent um back into conservation you know whether it's little hatching or these supported right whale research um well tell me again about some of the the real significant challenges was it getting off the ground was that really tough like what what things did you face that you had to innovate your 
Well, but I mean, I think what happened for me, my real challenge is when I took this over and it was, you know, just a flail, you know, kind of had been abandoned by the founder. And, you know, but what happened, what she did, which was, I think, the biggest mistake was looked at this as a very sustainable kind of high plush toy business, you know, and not taking the level of handmade, you know, artisans into account. And she took a shareholder and they were 50 50. She took a lot of capital, about $500,000. And you know, it just wasn't spent for growth. It was spent in operational efficiencies as a, you know, not considering you're a handmade product, you know, how much operational efficiencies are you going to be? You don't need machinery and stuff. So, you know, by the time I kind of showed up and started consulting with them before I bought it, you know, there was huge debt. There was huge promises that had been made to the people, to the market that weren't being kept. So, you know, to me, it was like kind of taking my history of, you know, business process and you know, kind of business consulting and layering that on this, making the social enterprise actually operate, you know, to some level of efficiency, you know, kind of with some true transparency and kind of growing. So what things were necessary for you to turn it around? Like when you first took it over, was the current clientele like, hey, what what's going on? Why has everything changed so dramatically? Like what, what was it like when you first, again, took it over and the challenges of it? Yeah, the challenge, I mean, it was just all wholesale. They were really high relying on wholesale. So like selling disease and aquariums, which are still our client base, but they thought they, the market would be like wholesale and distribution. Well, there's just not enough margin in these products to do that. So where the margin was, what I did was the first thing I did was we went up upstream. You know, we kind of started making really big pieces. You know, I mean, you know, we made that Honda car. That was $42,000. I mean, I've made art. $60,000 we've made big pieces you know we kind of just said okay we're going into the art world and the statement pieces installation and that helped with kind of a balancing of the profit you know the kind of indeed risky kind of the profit from you know kind of like a wholesale market the other challenge we have is like you know there's people that want to buy us a big department for like Kohl's or like a big you know Disney but they have so many rigid you know back office procurement processes we can't adhere to you know, we need money up front to like help make the art. So a lot of times we can't play in that space because, you know, of our own cash flow, you know, pri- not prices, but, you know, kind of managing our cash flow. I can't afford to make 50,000 products and not get paid for two years, you know, kind of thing that a lot of companies can do when they're in that space. I see what you mean. You know, one thing came to mind. Could you make furniture? Well, it's so funny you say that because I just got off the phone today. There's this gorgeous designer. Um, he's from uh, Africa, and he's making. He's going to go to Milan, and we're going to collaborate on a furniture piece. Yeah, we're kind of making some furniture just to see how that works, and so we're going to give our first shot at it. We have made poofs. I don't know if you know what you mean, like a footstool and stuff like that. And they're hugely popular because, you know, they obviously can, they can be with the weather. They can you know, be in the sun. They can get wet, you know, and it's kind of fun. So we have done some things, but not on scale with a designer that can proportionately, you know, with some of that, you need that engineering acumen in terms of dimensions and, you know, weight and things like that. And, and so this will be our first time. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I could see like somebody could requisition a whole bunch of office furniture. And you guys yeah. could make that, you know, out of the uh, out of the footbox and stuff. That'd be really cool. Well, yeah. for hospitals or for playrooms or yeah, a lot of things. I guess. Yeah, because right now, like hospitals do buy our big buyers of some of our art, obviously for children distraction. You know what I mean? It's like, but yeah, I mean, yeah, everybody kind of, you know, when they get creative, we can collaborate with them. We've made a shoe with uh, Chloe, which is a very famous French uh, designer, and we made the sole for them, and then they made this beautiful shoe, you know, kind of retailed for about $700. None of us could afford them. It's gorgeous, and 
with a really fun project. Yeah, that's no, really excellent. You said that sometimes there's uh, again not a, a shortage, but you know there's not enough flip flops for you. Like, wh- why do you think that happens? Where does that come from? Two things that happen. Well, funny because you know, there's a good question I asked about six years ago, and I started correlating it. One of it is you know during the monsoon time when right after the rains, right? That's when obviously we're not getting as much uh, movement of trash around. Uh, you know during the dry season, and then the second thing is it's about the time of crops. You know, most of our employees, you know, they have their own farms, you know, they have, you know, to provide for their family. And so they all own acreage and they're very small substance farmers. And so we'll find a lot of times when it's that farming season, that's when a lot of our flip-flop collectors and our whole kind of supply chain, which is kind of informal, but formal, is kind of at the farm and not really going out and and getting our supplies, funny enough. Oh, how many beaches do you uh, you pull from? How many locations? Well, we pull from... 13 right now, 13, I'd say. And so when I say that's 13, yeah, probably five miles for each of those locations. And then we would do the riverways, you know, kind of the rivers that flow through the different counties. So those with, you know, we're probably in about 16 locations. I mean, there's massive more. The challenge kind of with expansion like that or trying to reach out to Lake Victoria, which is probably about 300 miles from Nairobi, is transportation costs. You know, we've got to fund getting kind of all of those flip-flops down to Nairobi, and that can be quite expensive. So we try to, you know, get them where, we're, you know, there's the, the transportation cost of moving, you know, the trash, if you will, isn't so hot and doesn't kind of eat up all our cash. What would happen if someone just like donated 10 million flip-flops to you? Would that be a good thing or a terrible thing? You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a company called Four Oceans. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're always like calling me and saying, take your flip-flops. So the issue is, one, Kenya, would they import them from outside? Kenya values them. And so there'd be a huge import tax on them. That's one, which, you know, is crazy because, you know, obviously with some of the changes globally around, you know, where the trash went, things like that, you know, a lot of countries are like kind of walking down on taking other people's trash and they would be that so that would be one you know i mean we would love it like if it actually worked out or somehow you know that would work out but you know that is the biggest problem because actually kenya probably wouldn't let it be imported sadly have you tried to get the government of kenya to like you know have you considered like donating to the government or um you know the government buying one of the pieces to publicly show their support for the nation's waterways and oceans yeah, they have. I mean, you know, KW, we have two groups, you know, UNEP, which is uh, the UN's environmental program there. It's headquartered in Nairobi. Uh, we have every climate change, every, like, King Queen of England were just there. And, you know, we always are part of, I would say, any type of anything that's environment. You know, they will have pieces there. Um, they have some of our art there. We have the Kenya Wildlife Service that gets involved. So we're very, we partner with them a lot. I mean, the, you know, Kenya is in a, hyperinflation mode right now like trying to you know figure their way out of that so they're interested in riverways and and waterways but you know i think there's a couple other issues in front of them we do have huge support i would say not so much from our like president i mean yeah well, he is you know and he definitely knows of us and things like that but you know in terms of these communities or the ministry of you know interior and tourism you know we're quite kind of up there in that space we don't ourselves take on a lot of what i would call lobbying you know what i mean it's like i think there's other probably better for us again going back to our art advocates for it and so it's like if it's in your te- you know in your face you kind of understand what we represent are there any groups or people that are against what you do for some reason you know, it's funny we get sometimes our video we've had two viral videos one was on business insider that lots of people have seen um it's it's a great six minute and i highly recommend going to youtube on our channel or, or theirs and looking at it you know kind of tells 
you know, in a nutshell and six minute story. And we've also had one called the flip flop artist. That was about 2017, I think 100, 187 million. That's what drove us to go online. And we get to, we do get people that will say, you know, see the guys, you know, doing sanding because obviously to finish the art, they need to sand it, you know, working with rudimentary knives, you know, so you do get people that, you know, kind of have judgment against how things are done or, you know, kind of concerned about health and safety. But in the main, I would say we do not have, you know, people resisting it. You know, we just get some, we call them you know, keyboard warriors that, um, which you've probably encountered some is, uh, you know, that have statements of those and it's fair enough, oh. you know, I think, yes, <laughs> but I will tell you story because we were just looking into the new platform acts, you know, obviously previous Twitter and the others, this whole revenue break sharing program. And, you know, we do draw a lot of attention with our, some of our content. And so I was like, you know, when are we going to monitor? I'm like, you know, I followed some guy and he tried, you know, he was saying, you know, you trolls, you know, I hate you, but I'm driving a Ford, what is it, a Ford F450 that cost me about $200,000 because of you trolls. So keep it up. <laughs> you know, because they're engaging, you know what I mean? Because of the engagement up so high. So I was like, God, the world's changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. You can recycle the trolls. You can upcycle the trolls, actually. That's what you're doing. <laughs> We could, or we could all like um, get on them and, and push them in one direction. But yeah, I think there's some people that that's just what they do, where they even get paid. I think there's even people that get paid trolls nowadays. You know, they're oh, so yeah. in this new economy. You know, this whole, you know, you kind of wonder where all the money comes from, and then it, you start to really see. You know, there's a lot of people online kind of opinion. Okay, well, very good, Aaron. Again, what's the, you know possibly future? Like we discussed, uh, any other projects that you, that are significant? You know, where where will this be in the next few years? Well, I think we're, you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, ideally what I would love is somebody to come along and buy us like a Haviana and become their CSR, you know, kind of mission and go around and, you know, kind of set up more of these workshops and, you know, somebody that has the capital to kind of invest in, you know, kind of taking these flip flops, you know, instead of making it art and making these big machineries and seeing if we can do something that's more, you know, kind of functional or wearable or something like that. Yeah, that would be ideal. I think our next step is around lifestyle brand, you know, in terms of really looking at the ocean soul, you know, flip-flops, what can we do there? And, you know, I think this furniture kind of collaboration would be quite interesting because that could really be a fun, you know, kind of channel and market for us. Yeah, very cool. Well, very good. Aaron, what's the best place for people to find out more about ocean soul? Where should they go? Oh, well, thank you. Um, I would love for you all to visit ocean soul, S-O-L-E. Dot, dot com. We're also dot org is where all our nonprofit activities are. But you know, between the two of them, they all point to each other these days. So, and then the videos we have on YouTube, just any of those channels, and you'll see tons of pictures, loads of media attention that we get, some great content, and you know, and, and probably see some fun pro- some products you like. Okay, very good, Aaron. It's been good to talk to you. It's a very unique product and and uh, business that you're running there. So, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.